Luke chapter 8, and you'll notice at the top uh, in my Bible, and more than likely yours as well, this parable that uh, one pastor has called the mother of all parables is labeled the parable of the sower. Um, And yet the seed and the sowing and the soil upon which uh, the seed is cast actually gets more attention than the sower himself. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't even mention the sower in his interpretation of the parable that we're going to look at in just a few minutes. And of course, the question is, is why? Why isn't the sower included or mentioned? Well, while we're, we aren't exactly sure the time frame uh, or what is covered in the time frame with the words soon afterwards... Uh, in verse 1, it is safe to say that Luke is being very strategic in his placement of this parable in his gospel. Uh, he's placing it immediately following the pericope or, or passage that we looked at last week where we saw the woman, uh, the prostitute, contrasted with Simon, the Pharisee, and having described that woman as one who exhibited scandalous gratitude and the Pharisee who exhibited contemptuous pride, a very natural question that arises out of that is, why such different responses? Why would one person respond with this scandalous gratitude and another respond in contemptuous pride? Why would one respond with repentance and humility and gratitude, and the other respond uh, with this hard-hearted pride and arrogance? Why would one person receive the good news and another person reject the good news? Why would one person believe in Jesus and another person reject Him? And to help Theophilus and us tonight, Luke inserts this parable. And as uh, last week, we have a question to ask. We have a question to ask ourselves. Last week, the question was, was which one of these people, who, who do we identify with? You know, are, are, we, are we that prostitute? Are we that Pharisee? Right. Um, tonight, the question is, Which soil are you? Which heart do you possess? And like last week, the question is is a little uncomfortable. Because we have to ask that question. We're asking that question of ourselves, not of the person sitting next to us. Right? So as we walk through this, we're not asking, so which soil represents my husband or wife? Or which heart does my child possess? Or where does my neighbor fall? The question is, where's my heart? What soul do I possess? The command is for us to listen and to assess not others, but ourselves. Right, the command is, for those who have ears to hear, let 
him, them here. And so my prayer has been that we would all stay engaged, uh, not run, uh, not uh, allow our minds to wander, but to, to listen intently as, as we walk through this passage and we look at the intrigue of the parable, the intent of the parable, and then the interpretation of the parable. Right? Those three points found in the normal place in your outline in the back of the bulletin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin, all right? Uh, Father, by your Spirit, as always, please grant power to your preaching this evening. Awaken our attention and um, open our sorrows and convict us and challenge us. And then, would you come along behind and refresh us and encourage us and comfort us as we see Jesus and hear his gospel tonight? Um, always, always, I am weak and needy. I am in need uh, of your assistance and I am in need of your spirit to fill me that. And, and to support me and to strengthen me that I might be a pure channel of your grace, that I might do something for you this evening. And so would you help me to, to communicate uh, clearly and with fluency and fervency and grace uh, for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, it would be easy to jump right into the parable and skip over uh, and, and miss the significance of the first four verses there in chapter 8. But they actually bridge the gap between the meal where we found Jesus last week and now this gathering that he's in the midst of now. After leaving Simon's house, again, we're, we're not sure how long or the time period, but after leaving his house, Jesus continued in his ongoing ministry. That has not changed a bit. And he is with the twelve. But Luke says here that he was also accompanied by several women. And those women, like the men, came from a variety of different backgrounds, of a variety of experiences. They had been ministered to by Jesus, and then they had also been ministering to him out of their means. And this, of course, was something that was very out of the ordinary for the time, but because they had been ministered to physically and healed physically, and they had been uh, healed and forgiven and redeemed spiritually, um, and because they had been invited uh, to listen to him as he taught in a time when theology was only for men, the women, of course, responded with appreciation and gratitude. They wanted to be a part and as a matter of fact, that appreciation and gratitude was so strong that these same ladies would follow him all the way to the cross. His care and concern and, and compassionate treatment of these women was so significant that most pastors and commentators point out that not one woman is described as ever expressing hostility toward the Lord Jesus, and not one woman ever played a part in either his trial or death. A testimony worth noting and following. They served him. They served alongside him out of love and devotion because he, he was their savior and friend. And as they traveled, as we've seen throughout the gospel, the norm was for the crowd to gather. 
They're gathering around him, and Luke is very specific as to why at this point in chapter 8, and he says Jesus was going on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He has not deviated from his ministry, right? His ministry of proclamation, it continues. He exercised compassion for his people or for people. Uh, he, he healed them both physically and spiritually, and you've heard me describe that as a ministry of presence. And while that continued, his primary ministry was that of proclamation. And his ministry of presence came out of and pointed back to the proclamation of who he was and what he had come to do and what he was doing. He would go to the synagogues and he would, he would preach and teach and he would explain and then he would apply the scriptures. And then as they would walk, he would stop along mountainsides and stop in fields and along the roadway. He would find the town centers and then he would even meet in homes and he would explain the good news of the coming kingdom. Again, the message being the same as it had been, he continued to proclaim his provision and offer of the immeasurable and invaluable grace and forgiveness of salvation. He came proclaiming the provision and offer of that an eternal inheritance that no one was going to be able to earn on their own. He continued to proclaim that it would be a gift that he, in fact, would secure and that the Father would keep and that they could, they could, that it would be theirs by faith, received by them by faith. He continued to proclaim that he had come to secure and provide liberty and freedom and release and deliverance from sin that had kept their minds and their hearts and their souls in bondage. He came again, continuing to proclaim that he had come to deliver them uh, and, and the promise that that had been given to them that he was going to heal their spiritual blindness. He was going to reach deep into the, to the dark recesses and remove the veil that had, been, that had left them dark and in, in shadows, and he was going to provide light. He was going to allow them to see the vivid glory of God and the colors of life that were in his name. That's what he preached over and over and over again. But on this day, something it was just weird. It was out of the norm. It was something that he had done. He had, he's done it a couple of times. He's, he's shared a parable just in, almost in passing a little bit. Not, I mean, it was significant, but especially with Simon. I mean, he's driving home a point. But it was still, it wasn't the major, right? It, it was to come along and to illustrate something for Simon. This is the major teaching point. And he comes with a parable. Jesus shares a parable. And so, well, let me just define parables. Parables are, are defined in a, a several different ways. One definition is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Another definition is a metaphor or simile drawn from common life that engages the mind with vivid clarity and yet leaves the mind in sufficient doubt in terms of precise spiritual application. And if we put those two things together, what Christ is doing, we see him vividly describing realities of the kingdom, and these realities were gripping everyone present, right? They grabbed their attention, but it left them all with, with kind of their heads tilted and their eyes squinted and they're, you know, just trying to figure it out, and, 
not really being able to, right? The, the inquisitiveness, the intrigue of the parable just written all over their face. And his disciples are feeling the same intrigue, and they're probably wondering, Jesus, you've got all of these people. Why are you speaking in, why are you speaking in this way? Right? What happened to that? What happened to that straightforward, no holds barred presentation of, of the good news of the kingdoms, especially with all of these people? And so in verse 9, we see that that intrigue drives them to Jesus to ask what he's doing. Right? In verse 10, we see, you know, what, in other words, what's the, the intrigue leads to them seeking the intention. What's the intention of the parable? And in verse 10, Luke describes Jesus' response. He says, Jesus says, to you, to you, his disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And the key words there are given and secrets or mysteries. And what he says is, Christ says, there are things that I know that others don't know. And they don't know them because they're spiritually appraised. But then he also says, but you, you will know and understand these things because you have been given the divine ability to understand these things. You have been given the divine ability to understand these mysteries. But then he follows that up with something very different than what many of us have grown up hearing regarding parables. And may, maybe I should just speak for myself. Right? I grew up hearing that parables were, were stories that Jesus told in everyday language so that others might understand him better, understand who he was and what he had come to do better. But when we read the second part of verse 10, it, it's very, very different from that, right? He says in the first part, to you, his disciples, it's been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. Then he follows that up with, for others, there are, they are in parables, and here's the reason why, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. He didn't, he didn't tell them the parables so people would and could understand. He told them the parables so people wouldn't and couldn't understand. He's telling the parables purposefully to draw a dividing line between two groups of people. He's using the, the parable to discriminate and to differentiate those who don't believe from those who do. And he's quoting Isaiah 6-9. And in doing so, Jesus is using the parable to say that this, this is full, the parable is full of truth. But this parable is going to be used to harden the hearts of those who reject him. And the difference between those who would be hardened and those 
who would be given or who, who have the ability and been given the ability to understand has nothing to do with intellect. It has everything to do with the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. So those when he says, those who have ears, let him hear, we ask, who are the ones that have ears to hear? And the answer is, those to whom God has graciously revealed the truth by the Spirit. Those who have ears to hear are those to whom God has graciously given the ability to understand by the Spirit. Who has ears to hear? Those to whom God has graciously given spiritual discernment by the Spirit. Those who don't have ears to hear, who are they? Those from whom God has chosen to conceal the truth. Those who don't have ears are those to whom God had not given the, the ability to understand. Those who God had not given the ability to, or had not given spiritual discernment. So the parable is, is used to both reveal and conceal and in time, it would fulfill its purpose one way or the other, which is why God, through Isaiah, once said, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It's, it's going to do what the Lord intends for it to do. Now, brothers and sisters, one of the most valuable lessons that we can learn and will benefit us, uh, benefit us in a multitude of ways throughout our lives when we come to this passage is the reality that anything, absolutely anything that you and I understand regarding Scripture and spiritual things is a result of God's gracious work in our lives through the Spirit who leads us into all truth, period. Our knowledge and understanding of the Word of God is not due to our intellect, but due to divine illumination. We too are benefactors of His gracious gift of knowing and understanding the mysteries of the kingdom of God. We only apprehend and and have the ability to appraise spiritual things. Because in the, in the words of Paul to the church at Ephesus, right, our, our eyes and hearts have been enlightened. In his words to the church at Corinth, we know that anything that we know and understand has been revealed to us through the Spirit, who is from God. It is through Him that we understand the things freely given us from God. We are taught by Him. And it's because it is all a gift and not due to our own intellect that we are unable to boast at all. There is no boasting. There should be no boasting in our knowledge. As a matter of fact, the more we learn and the more knowledge we gain and the more wisdom we acquire, the more humble we should become. Our humility should be, the level of humility should be directly proportionate to the knowledge we have because it's all, everything that we know is, again, due to His gracious activity in our lives. 
Each new insight, each new level of comprehension is result is a result of the Spirit opening up our hearts and our minds so that we receive and are and, and become convinced of the truth. It is it is well those secret and mystical things or the secret and mystical things, they're not extra-biblical things. Right? What, we, what we know and understand is, is what's in His Word. And it's what's true in His Word. And, and the Spirit makes that truth a reality to us. And for that, we should be forever grateful. But with the help of Ralph Davis, I, I also want to share a word of caution that comes from the passage as well as we read through these initial verses. You know, if you have no use for the Word of God, no real care for it, no hunger for it, it will eventually be taken from you. Jesus will eventually hide it because his word brings both salvation and judgment. And we should take care to listen to that caution. And that brings us to the interpretation. In verse 11, Jesus uh, says that the seed is the Word of God. And that, of course, is that same uh, gospel message, the same uh, message and, and ministry or that he has been preaching through his ministry of proclamation. And, and while Jesus doesn't, as I mentioned, he doesn't mention the sower, we can tell from the intent uh, of the, the parable that it is God himself and the person of Christ that is the sower. But we can also uh, apply that a little wider, which we'll do in just a few minutes. But, but what I want us to especially notice is, before we look at the soil upon which the seed falls, we need to look at how the seed is cast. How does the sower cast the seed? And, and it's, it can only be defined as this really, this broadcast sowing, right? It's just, if they would have this up and, and the seed would be in here, and it's just taking it by the handfuls and, and flinging it around generously and liberally and indiscriminately. Far, just as far as they could throw, uh, it's, it's analogous to casting a large net in a fishing uh, illustration. And it's because of that indiscriminate casting that the seed is falling on multiple soils. And Jesus speaks of four soils to be exact, and each soil represents the heart or a type of heart within the hearers of the message as he's telling this parable. The first soil is the path, and it represents a hard heart. He says, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So in Palestine, it was, 
It was normal for fields to be separated by paths or to be dissected by paths, and, and those paths were uh, the paths that the farmers would walk and also travelers that were going from one town to the next, and they would walk. And of course, as they, uh, over time as they walked, that, that ground became compacted, it was well-worn, it was hard, it was impenetrable. And the farmer would be casting that along as he went, and some would fall under his feet and fall on that hard ground, or as he was spraying it, it would fall, and he would walk on it and trample it. Those that coming from town to town would trample on it. That not trampled, or even that that was trampled, the birds would come by and snatch it up. And Jesus says this is a description of the person who hears the Word of God. He's heard the outward message. He's heard the outward call of the gospel, but their heart is so hard and so indifferent to the truth that it doesn't penetrate their, their mind or their heart or their conscience. Whether hardened by sin, either their own or someone else's, or whether there's bitterness and anger that has hardened their heart, either bitterness toward the Lord or bitterness toward His church, or whether their heart, hearts are just cold and insensitive to spiritual things. Spiritual things just aren't of any interest whatsoever. And when that seed of the gospel is thrown and when the gospel is presented, Satan comes along and just snatches it away. And salvation is not possible. The second soil is rocky ground, and it represents a shallow heart. He says, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. So as, this, as the sower is indiscriminately casting some falls on the ground that looks good, it's been cultivated, but there's this long, uh, there's this plate of limestone that runs through the country, and in some places that limestone is not broken, and so the, the soil is, is, is not very deep, and that, that seed is cast, and it, and it begins to grow, but as the, the heat comes, it begins to bake the, the plant from the top, and then that heat begins to uh, warm up that limestone. And so not only is it being baked from above, it's being baked from below, and it, it dries out because there's no moisture, and the roots can't get through the limestone, they can't get to that which they need to survive. And they become scorched. And Jesus says this describes one who hears the gospel and, and responds quickly and with joy and with excitement. But then when trials come, when suffering happens, when in, in Peter's words, when their faith is tested by fire, They wither up. The initial response is emotional. And a case can be made that, it's, that joy is the wrong initial emotion. Because a case can be made that 
contrition, sorrow, and humility should actually precede it. And what I mean is the depth of our understanding regarding, regarding our, um, well, our, our, our appreciation for and, and regarding um, what Christ, and our understanding of what Christ has done for us is only as deep as our understanding of our sin and need of salvation. And so unfortunately, those with shallow hearts are more focused upon what they feel about Christ than they are about the, the objective truth of who He is and what He has done for them. And so when things heat up and those trials and sufferings and, and pain comes, their faith, again in Peter's words, their faith is proved to be spurious. Right? And, it, and it burns up when tested by fire because unfortunately there's nothing genuine about it. The third soil is the thorny ground, and it represents immature hearts. He says, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. What fell among thorns are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So the sower is sowing indiscriminately. It falls on that ground that's been tilled and cultivated, but they haven't gone through and, and weeded it out. I, I worked in uh, tobacco fields in western Kentucky when I was in junior high, and one of the things that we had to do is as the plants would grow, we would have to go out and pull out wild sweet potatoes. Because those wild sweet potatoes would gather around the plant, and they were a vine, and they would grow up that plant, and they would choke that tobacco plant and kill it. And that's the picture we have here. We have the, the weeds are present, they're under the ground, and as they both begin to grow together and those weeds come alongside and they choke it to where the fruit never matures and actually dies on the vine. And Jesus says this is that the seed cast on this soil, again, begins to grow, but those weeds come alongside it, and, and those weeds and, and, and the heart in which this takes place is a heart that's preoccupied and distracted by the things of the world. Right? They, they're concerned about and they're in love with the things of the world that leads to their fruit becoming useless. Right? The noxious weeds of idolatry and adultery or immorality and the love of money and the pursuit of possessions and power and prestige and prominence. It just sucks the life out of the fruit. And they don't just have to be... We take, unfortunately, we take good things and good gifts that the Lord gives us and we over-desire them. Right? And they become idolatrous. And so anything that competes for our time and our energy and our resources that distract us, they preoccupy us and they dominate, they dominate us and they drain us physically and emotionally and spiritually to the point that it zaps all of our energy and we're unable to produce good fruit. Anything temporal, when pursued or when used in excess rather than moderation, becomes detrimental to our growth. So the first three soils, as we listen to those, they're obviously unproductive. The natural hardness of man's heart and and the devil and the flesh and the world are all opposing and warring against the sower and the seed. 
But there's good news. There's good news. Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he says, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. There are hearts that have have been and are being cultivated. There are hearts in which that limestone has been broken. There are hearts in which the weeds are being continually ripped out. There are hearts that have been and are ready, ready for the seed of the gospel. And when that seed falls into that fertile soil, it produces an abundance of fruit. Right? A, typical, a typical plant, wheat plant, would produce maybe you know, six or seven you know, fruit. And he's talking hundred, right? A hundredfold, the abundance of fruit that is produced by the seed. When hearts of stone have been turned into hearts of flesh, and possess a genuine desire to know and seek after the Lord, and they listen to His Word, and they hold on to it. It produces an abundance of fruit, but love and joy, peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, godliness, righteousness, forgiveness, even of our enemies. And that fruit endures. It endures over time. It endures in the midst of persecution. It endures in the midst of trials. It endures in the midst of suffering and pain. So what I'd like for us to do for the next few minutes is consider two takeaways. Two things that I I would like for us to hold on to. And the first is in regard to the initial question that I asked. Again, a little discomfort involved in this, but it's necessary. Because we all, everyone in this room falls into one of those four soils. We all possess one of those four hearts. And so the questions that we must ask are, do I have a hard heart? Do I have a shallow heart? Do I have an immature heart? Do I have a fertile heart? And questions that will help us are these. Are you responsive to God and His Word? Or are you cold and insensitive to it? Do do your roots run deep and find refreshment in the person and work of Christ? Or do trials and suffering and the difficulties of life Do they reveal your misplaced trust in your own emotions and in your own circumstances and leave you hopeless? Is your focus on 
the spiritual rather than the temporal things? Are, are they focused on those things that moth and rust cannot destroy? Or are you preoccupied and distracted by the cares and concerns of the world that hinder your concentration from looking at and looking to the world to come and keep you from investing in the spiritual and the eternal? And children, you're going to remember this, question 90 from the Shorter Catechism, that we walked through the entire month of October, even the end of September and the entire month of October, getting ready for our particularization. It's, it's applicable today just as it was then. Right? Do we all have a strong desire to read and to listen to the Word of God? Do we have a desire to hear it read and preached? Do we attend the reading and especially the preaching of it with diligence and preparation and prayer? Do we receive it with faith and love? Do we lay it up in our hearts? Do we practice it in our lives? Or are we apathetic and indifferent toward it? This is, when we, when we dive in here, this is a difficult text. And some would use it and have used it and will use it as an exercise in, in making excuses for their lack of interest in the gospel and the word of God. But the purpose of this difficult text is not to provide excuses to walk away it's to draw us to the Lord Jesus. It's to draw us to Him, to cause us to, to seek Him out and to learn from Him because we see that's what the disciples did. They heard the parable. They didn't understand, but it didn't push them away. It led them to ask, what does this mean? And those difficult texts are are for us to draw us to Him, to seek Him out and to ask those questions. May we be, in the words of Daryl Bach, receptive and faithful and persistent and patient soil. And may we let the Word of God take root and bear the fruit that comes with nurturing the Word with undying faith. May we repent May we repent where we need to repent. Maybe we've allowed our heart in some, in some case and in some, in some way to begin to harden. Or we've, we've begun to allow the indifference to creep in. Or, or we've failed to weed where we need to weed. The good news is that we can come to Jesus. And repent of those things and ask for Him to restore our hearts. And He's promised to do that. So in those moments of, of struggle and pain and, and, and doubt, as we've been talking about, in those moments, those aren't causes for us to turn away. They're, they're causes for us to run to Him. He will give us that which we need. And may we set our minds on, on that which will last. And the second takeaway is this. 
Christ's disclosure of these mysteries to his disciples wasn't just this information dump. Okay? It was meant to transform them, and it was meant, and we're going to see this in the weeks ahead as we move uh, deeper into Luke, but it was meant for them to then go and share. They too were going, they are going to be more um, specifically involved in this same ministry of proclamation. And so I would like for us, both individually and corporately, to consider uh, keeping something uh, in the forefronts of our minds, and, and that is this, when the response of the gospel that you and I share with our family and friends and coworkers and neighbors, uh, when, that's, when those responses are slow in coming, or when they reject the message, or when that fruit that we, we are excited about because it it pops up so quickly, but as it begins to fade, and in some cases where we see others, it's, it's become fashionable now to apostatize. And when we see those people denouncing their faith, we must remember that the problem is not with the seed of God's word. Seed of God's word. It has everything to do with the heart. And it doesn't have to do with our failure as sowers, it has to do with the heart. Our job is to continue to indiscriminately sow the Word of God and the Gospel. And as we do that indiscriminately, we're, we're told right here that, that the majority of our casting is going to fall on the first three soils. But that which falls on the fourth is going to produce an immeasurable harvest. As one commentator put it, he said, the sower exhibits carefree excess in his disregard of path rocks and weeds as he sows because of the extraordinary potential for fruitfulness in his seed stock. In other words, right, the power is not in our sowing. The power is in the Word of God. The power is in His, His Word. Our trust is not in ourselves or our, in our techniques or in our strategies. Our trust is in His Word. Our trust and our prayers, our prayers go to the Lord of the harvest. We pray and continue to pray for our family and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors. Right? Our job is to plant our job is to water, and then we trust the Lord for the growth. Trusting Him to do what He has said and purpose to do with His Word as, as we cast it out there. It's not, it's not our job to determine who to reveal it to and who to conceal it from. That's not our job. Our job is to sow the good news of the gospel. Praying and trusting in the Lord to do what He has determined to do. Our job is to treat every day as if it is today. Because today is the day of salvation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, by Your 